Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil and heavenly realms. Therefore, Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. So he's repeating, stand, stand, stand again because we have a devil. He has schemes. He's going to attack us. We have spiritual armor to fight this battle. It is not a physical battle. It is a spiritual battle. And in Christ Jesus, God has given us armor and, and armaments to be able to combat the enemy with his tactics. And we must, as Christians, put on the armor of God. You are at war. You're at war. And the enemy wants to render you totally ineffective for Jesus Christ. He can't take away your salvation, but he can take away your effectiveness. He can have you sidelined for years. He can have you useless for the kingdom. That is not what the Lord wants. He wants you to bear fruit for his kingdom, for his glory. The enemy hates fruit. Amen? And so, he told us what we're to do. We're to put on all these armaments. And he speaks about these different pieces of armor. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that you, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And then, that's so we've been through those. We'll recap in a minute. But in addition to all this, in addition to your basic pieces of armor, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take up the shield of faith. That means you have to take it up. Pick it up. Put it on. We don't leave the shield on the ground when we enter into the battle. We pick it up. We put it on. Paul says we're to take up the shield of faith. Now, if you've studied ancient Roman warfare, you know there were different types of shields. How many of you have seen the little gladiator scenes where they have that small round shield? And they had the sword in their hand, and they're, defi- they're it's just very mobile for hand-to-hand combat. That is not what he's talking about. He's talking about a bigger shield. It's four feet tall, two feet wide, usually made of steel or leather or something very resilient. And the, whole, the idea was to be able to put it on your arm and to take it and put it into the ground and to get behind it so when the arrows come in, they all hit the shield and your whole body is protected. And there was this tactic in military terms the phalanx is what it was and they would take all these rows of shields and put them together and what would happen is they just put a make a big old wall and so the arrows would come in and it'd be tall enough to where they'd be able to get down and it'd, it'd block and they'd have a, a row of that and then behind it they'd have archers who'd be able to tuck in behind them and they'd get up and they'd fire and then they'd get down again and you have different rows and what would happen is they would advance in this column against the enemy 
And as they got closer to the enemy, and they got to the place where they're out of the arrow firing range, where they got in hand-to-hand combat, they'd throw down the shields, and they'd pull out their, sh- their swords and start hand-to-hand combat. Pretty intense stuff. Pretty intense stuff. And Paul's living in this world of Roman soldiers, and he's saying, pick up the shield of faith. How do we know what shield they're talking about? Because there's different Greek words for different shields. It just says shield in English, but you know in Greek which one he's talking about. The big one. The shield of faith that protects you from the fiery darts. And so soldiers would put them down on the ground. They defend themselves against the barrage. But the enemy would have these metal-tipped arrows dipped in pitch that would light on fire before they were fired, and they would fire it. And if their shield wasn't made of a certain metal, or if they were had the small shield, chances are they could get hit with these arrows. And the idea of them being flaming is that if they couldn't mortally wound you, they would burn all your clothes off or light you on fire. You'd freak out, run into someone next to you, light them on fire. And it was just whatever he could do to take the soldier out of battle whatever they could do we talked about the shoes about how they have spikes in the ground if you lost if you stepped on something and you didn't have the correct protection you lose your footing you're out of the war someone could take advantage of you you get hit with an arrow you might not be mortally wounded but let me tell you you're not fighting very well that day and you're and it and it does something to the whole group of you as you get weakened like that. And so Paul is saying, put on the armor of God in addition to your basic armor, which is your belt, which is standing in truthfulness. The breastplate, which is standing in righteousness. The shoes, standing upon the gospel of peace, that you're the of peace with God. Those were the basics. But in addition to that, for double protection, when you hit the battle, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Our enemy is going to attack us. He is going to attack you. He has arrows designed to pierce you, to run you through, to render you absolutely fruitless for the kingdom, to set you on fire with the things of the world. He has it. That's his plan. He has tactics as wild. He's going to attack with spiritual attacks, much like a Roman soldier would be facing a barrage of arrows. And we need to be further equipped to deal with these. And first, in addition to those initial pieces of armor, we put on the shield of faith, which protects us from the flaming arrows of the evil one. And so what are these flaming arrows of the devil? Uh, Good question. Many people have different ideas. David Guzik says that they can include thoughts and feelings, imaginations, fears, and lies. John MacArthur says if they include seducing temptations, impurity, lustfulness, greed, vanity, materialism, pride, anger, impatience, covetousness. How many of you agree with all that? Different types of arrows for different types of situations. And I would add, with my extended knowledge of everything, I'm just (laughs) adding to these guys, yeah, right. But I would add in the context of Ephesians 5 and 6, uh, that the enemy would tempt us to reject love as the most excellent way. To resist our roles, to usurp authority, to resist authority, the Lord has placed us under for our blessing. To not submit to one another in love, to not esteem one another, to let pride rule just like Satan. I just see that in that context there. 
And I, I fight with that. Anybody else? And so he sends these fiery darts. Satan. These spiritual attacks that would get us to become discontent. Discontent. And to live life for self. And to not trust God in simple obedience to his word. These temptations are demonic and often come to us in the form of enticements or antagonisms from the world. I see that. I see it in my own life. I see it in your lives. I see it in the world. And I think First uh, John chapter 2.16 sums up the nature of these fiery darts. He says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. So I kind of envision the world as the quiver from which the enemy draws his fiery arrows. The world system, Satan's influence, no matter what you're involved with, with TV or politics or whatever you have, music, I just go, go down whatever thing, he's got his hands in it all. And he can take a quiver, uh, an arrow from that quiver and fire it at you, a custom-made arrow, because he knows who you are and how you are and how you operate and what you like and what you don't like and all these types of things. Seeking to wound us or at least light us on fire with some kind of worldly passion. I see it in my own life. I see the tactics. I see it in, in your lives. I do. And this is where we pray and I don't want to get into prayer yet. I know, it's like, what am I saying? Don't want to get into prayer. Yes, we want to get into prayer, Lord, but you know, saving it, right? But James makes clear the danger of being hit and engulfed by these arrows of the world. In James 4.4, 4, he says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? He's speaking to brothers and sisters who have been caught up in temptations. And their temptations was to... Uh, treat the poor differently than the rich. They had favoritism going on. They had a lot of things that were going on uh, wrong. And James is saying, you adulterous people. What does that mean, you adulterous people? Is he saying that they're literally maybe cheating on their wives? Perhaps. But we know that that's a picture of the Old Testament, of leaving God for some foreign thing. Go, not, not following after the Father anymore, but you, you go after the world. You've let that enticement pull you away. Read the book of Proverbs and how he's talking about those pictures to his son about being pulled away from the temptations from the right, righteous path. Whether it be getting up with a band of hoodlums to go beat people up, to get material gain, or following an adulterous woman down a road. But James is saying, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity, of God, enmity with God? The enemy is seeking to entice us away from love and obedience to Jesus Christ and to embrace love and obedience of self. That's what he wants. Just obey your thirst. He packages it so amazingly, so deceptively. He says, therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. It's black and white. You can't serve two masters. And so we have fiery darts of temptation that come at us every single day. Temptation to lust. Temptation to never be content. To covet. To desire what is not yours that someone else has. To be ungrateful to hate, 
to slander, to steal, to hold grudges, to gossip, to not trust the Lord, to meet our own unmet desires through carnal and worldly ways instead of through prayer and supplication and laying our desires at his feet and saying, Lord, you meet them in your time. I trust in your goodness. I trust in your word. I trust your best for me. Usurping that and going to do it our own way. Basically, the fiery arrows are temptations to act upon impulses that are contrary to our new life in Christ. And we live in a world that is barraging us with these arrows every single day. Through the media, through music, through art, through education, through government, through culture. Let's not forget through false religion. You want to be ultra conservative? The enemy has an arrow for you. You want to be extremely liberal and, and religious? He's got something for you. He doesn't care as long as you're off. You can go to church all day long. You can sing the songs. You can give your money. You can burn the offerings just like they were. And Jesus can stand on the outside of that whole thing. And so Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you. How I long to gather you as, as, as a you know, mother hen longs to gather her checks, but you were not willing. And yet they were down there in front of him worshiping and sacrificing and singing the songs and going through everything. And Jesus is outside of the camp longing and missing. He does, you know, the enemy is, he's fully involved in the world's religious systems. And so we preach Christ crucified. We preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We say repent from dead works. Come to Jesus Christ for life. You must take of his body. You must take of the blood of Jesus Christ. The cup and the bread do not save you. Faith in Jesus Christ save you. That's what it represents. You must embrace Jesus. If you don't, you don't have life. That's what we preach. Not only through the pulpit, but through our lives and our, and our, and our, and our manner of living. We preach the life of Jesus Christ. But the enemy's in that. Think about the political system we have right now going on. What are they playing at? doesn't make a difference what candidate. They're playing upon your desires. They're playing upon what you want to have happen. All the way from women's rights all the way to gun control, all the way to illegal immigration, pro-immigration, no matter what it is, they're dividing and they're pulling you. They're playing on those desires to get you to go their way. And they will continue to do it. I don't even think they know they're doing it. But the enemy is so powerful. He's involved in all these systems. I'm not saying there aren't good, godly people in those situations. But think of it. Are we uniting each other or are we dividing each other? It's, we're headed for real hard times. The enemy doesn't want us to have, you know, let me say this. He, he does everything from the Tower of Babel where he gathers everybody together and puts them all in one common thing and we all go, yay, 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 we're all together in one giant thing. But Godless to where we are divided and fighting and conquering each other. He doesn't make a difference. He's got something for everybody. What does Jesus say about 
gun control? What does Jesus say about what marriage is? What does Jesus say about uh, what about women's rights? About abortion? What is Jesus? Do you think Jesus is gonna is gonna go for that? You think Jesus? I mean, what did Jesus do with all his rights as King of King and Lord of Lords? He became nothing so that others might live. Nothing. I'm not saying these things aren't, aren't, aren't you know, there's no place for these discussions, but look at the heart of Jesus and all these things when we're looking out in the culture around us. Don't be so easily swept up under the banner of something, of America or whatever it might be. I love our country. I love being here. I love being able to be able to preach the gospel and freedom and all these types of things. I love our nation. But it also breaks my heart that we've left our first love. And we're going to reap the whirlwind. But we live in a world that's barraging us with all these arrows, seeking to just pull us, even towards righteous causes, just to get us off track. And it's all aiming at us to get us to not to trust in the Lord and His goodness towards us and to get us to doubt that what He says is best for us. Just like Eve in the garden. This is where my mind's going. Satan didn't point out all that God had provided. Did he? Look at all the great things. What did he play to? He stirred on their discontent. What's happening with us in our political season? What happens with you when you watch the commercials? What happens with you when you see you know, the things you see, and you watch the things you watch, what do you think it's, it's trying to do? And whether these people want to, ha- you know, are meaning to do it or not, the enemy is influencing these things to be, get us to become discontent. Like with Eve, God's withholding something good from you. God is withholding something good from you. That's not what any, the, Satan did. He, he didn't say, look at all what God has created for you. Look at all the good things he's done for you. Look at how he's provided all this wonderfulness for you. No, he said that somehow God was keeping something good from her. And he was using the peel of the fruit. Plug in your vice. Plug in your vice. He's using the appeal of the fruit. Satan tempted Eve uh, to, to give into her flesh above the will of God for her. Why would God keep you from eating this beautiful, from this beautiful tree that has this fruit that is delicious and can meet your need for hunger and can, and can satisfy, it looks good and it will make you wise? Why would God withhold something like that from you? Why would he do that? He's not who he thinks he is. He's lying to you. He's actually evil, and he's trying to keep something from you that is really good. Do you see the arrow? Do you see how subtle it is? Why would God keep something from my, I, for something I want? It meets my desires. It's pleasing to my eyes. I enjoy looking at it. I enjoy being around it. I enjoy the way it makes me feel. It meets my intellectual needs. Whatever, you just want to go down these roads. God, why are you keeping me from being in that same-sex relationship? God, why are you keeping me from not marrying this person, just living with them and sleeping with them or whatever it might be? 
Why, why do you say that's off limits? That's not love. God, why are you keeping me from fun? Why do I have to not spend money and not be in debt? Why can't I just go get what I want? Why do I have to, you know, give money to the church? I want to go buy Starbucks. I want to do this and that. He's just trying to keep me from doing something good. This is keeping me from what I want. God's keeping me from riches. He's keeping me from fulfillment. He's keeping me from happiness. God's keeping you from filling the blank. You see how the world works? How the enemy uses the world in that way? Eve let down her shield, the shield of faith in God, that what God says, what he offers, is going to truly satisfy and truly fulfill my heart in season. We're not a people of seasons anymore. We're not a, pe- a people who want to wait for character to grow. We're not a people who, in our, I'm talking about our nation, we're not a people who want to wait for the harvest. We want it now. Think of, I look at you old, the older generation. Yes, I'm stereotyping you. But it is amazing to see the character that you have that I do not see being grown in a younger generation. How you, how you gave sacrificially, how you put off a lot of the toys, how you put off and you worked hard and you did things that were better for the long term of your family than the short term game. And I know we all fall short, but in general there was that, that heart, that, that attitude with, within our older generation. That's going away as we move away from Christ-like values in our culture. And no man is going to bring that back. That has to be a work of God within our hearts and our society. But we've been run through with these arrows. Eve let down her shield and she got burned. She decided to meet that desire right away. Our kids are more and more exposed to this way of thinking as evil men grow more wicked. Do they know how to put up the shield of faith against the barrage of temptation cutting their way? Have you taught your children, have you taught your grandkids how to be equipped in the Lord to defend against the arrows which are numerous? More numerous. It's a heavy, heavy responsibility. It's why part of what we're doing is we want to equip our kids to love and obey Jesus Christ. Amen? This is the shield, taking God at his word. It's believing what God says is best, that his words are life, not the words of man. That his ways are the greatest, uh, his way uh, is to the greatest meaning and purpose and fulfillment and satisfaction in our life. That his ways do that. When we do not take our stand with the shield of faith, when we believe the lies that come in, when we give in to what Satan says, we get burned. We get burned. And to be victorious, we must take up the shield of faith. And there's, it's no better, better illustrated in the temptation of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. Let's turn there real quickly. Matthew chapter 4, when Satan was trying to get Jesus to go against the will of the Father. Matthew 
we look to Jesus as our example of how to wield the shield. How do we wield the shield? When the fiery arrows come in. Listen, each of us are walking in bodies that want to do something that's contrary to the will of God. Right? But when we are born again, we have the Spirit of God in us that wants to do the will of God, but we still have these dumb bodies. And so the way the enemy works is he surrounds us with a world that will pull on our sinful nature. And he sets it up like that. Like I said, there's there's varieties of ways he does that. And he pulls on us day after day. So what do you do when you are in deep need of something and the enemy comes at you with just the right arrow to fulfill that, but not in God's way? Look Look at Jesus. Matthew chapter 4, verse 2. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Notice the Spirit did not tempt Jesus. He led him to be tempted by the tempter. The Lord can lead us into situations to where we are going to be tempted by the enemy. The enemy tempts us to draw us away from the Lord. The Lord allows the testing to reveal what's truly in our hearts, our faith, so we don't walk around with a false sense of faith, a false sense of of trust in the Lord. He wants us to reveal us for what we truly are. Jesus, before he began ministry, he stepped out into the wilderness by the Spirit. And notice who met him there. He was tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was what? Hungry. How many of you are hungry right now? And so, yeah, Satan just walks through with a plate of whatever you want, and he just walks right through the door. Half of you would be like, I'm out of here. Mentally, you check out. You're gone. Forty days. Jesus is hungry. Yes, he is God in the flesh, but guess what? His mother is Mary. He's hungry. He's hungry. And after fasting, he was hungry. Verse 3, the tempter came to him. Did he come to him when he wasn't hungry? What's your hunger? What are you deprived of in your life? What are you lacking? And he said to them, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. What is your father keeping you from? Why are you suffering like this? Just satisfy your flesh. The Spirit led you into the situation, but hey, you got power. Just turn it into bread. What does Jesus say? Jesus answers, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's faith. He says, I'm taking my needs and I'm putting the word of God, what he says is best for me, above my own needs. Is there anything wrong with eating bread? Is there anything wrong with eating fruit from a tree? No, but when God leads you into a situation, he says, no, not now. Guess what? Not now. And what's our temptation going to be? To go now. To usurp what God's plan is for you and for what he wants to do in and through you. Verse 5, Then the devil took him to the holy city in Jerusalem to stand on the highest point of the temple, probably, what, three or 400 feet up? I don't know what it is. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, whoa, 
Satan's quote in Bible. Did you know that? Keep that in mind when you're flicking through the channels on Sunday morning or Saturday morning. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike one foot against a stone. The devil knows the Bible too, and he takes a truth and uses it as a reason for Jesus to justify glorifying himself before his time. Just jump, and you know you won't die. And everyone will love you, and you will be the Messiah. Just do it. How awesome would it be? You can circumvent the cross. You don't have to die that way. Jump, and everybody's just going to love you. You're gonna, you know what the Bible says. You know what's going to happen. You know he's going to save you. You know you're not going to experience death. Take the fruit. Take the shortcut. Jesus answers him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. We need to know the word. But do you see that Jesus was standing upon the word, trusting in the goodness of God, trusting in his Father's own plan, even though he was suffering, he was being withheld something from his life? We live in a day and age that doesn't want to withhold any good thing from us. And again, verse 8, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. I will give you what will be yours, but I'm going to give it to you right now. Jesus didn't argue because the kingdoms were in his hand. Jesus will open that scroll and take back the title deed in Revelation out of the hands of Satan. But he says, just do it right now. Here's the shortcut. God's withholding this from you. Why is he withholding your, your kingdom? You're your reigning. You're ruling over all this. You know it's yours. I can give it to you right now. Take the shortcut. Just worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended to him. The shield of faith, believing God above all, resisting temptation because you know what God says will bring life and satisfaction even if you are in a desert. How many of you are in a desert right now? You got a huge deficit in your life, finances, heart, relationships, needs, drives, all this wonderful stuff that we've got in our bodies, both flesh and spirit. Do you trust the Lord and what he says to meet that in your life? Are you willing to suffer? Are you willing to say no and to give in to the devil? Are you going to give in to the devil? Are you going to stand your ground, put the shield on the ground, and say, not today? The shield of faith is to be picked up. It's to be put on. It's a choice. It's a choice. Knowing that God in his time, he will bring about the fruit in its season. But you might feel like you're like in a desert. And that's the point (laughs) of this world. We're in a desert. And there is a lack. And you're either going to meet that by trusting in the Lord and saying, my way, or are you going to trust in the enemy 
And when we give in to sin, it leads to death. It does. But you're not alone. And I want to finish with this. You're not alone in your struggle against sin. You're not alone in, in, in hitting the, getting the fiery darts hit at you. You're not alone. Hebrews talks about a group of people in chapter 11. We call it the hall of faith. People who were hit with everything imaginable. Everything imaginable, and yet they overcame. They persevered. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. I'm going to read through the end of the chapter. It says, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. How many of you, if you were adopted by a royal family, would refuse to be known as part of that royal family? That was a choice. He said, I choose, I refuse to be known as Pharaoh's daughter. Instead, verse 25, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He chose suffering rather than indulging in the fleeting pleasures of sin. Know that about sin. It has its season. And when it rots, it rots. Verse 26, he says, He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. What is that when he's looking ahead? That's faith. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. Boy, just just wait till we get to Hebrews. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after an army marched around them for seven days. How would you like to march around the city for six days and them all taunting you? How many feel like you're being taunted for following Christ? The seventh day is coming. Amen? Jesus Christ is going to come back and set things straight. The walls of the world are going to fall down. And you will stand triumphant with him. By faith, the prostitute, Rahab, how many of you have been involved with some horrible stuff in your lives? Maybe right now. But by faith, the prostitute, Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. She's preserved. Thank God I'm preserved by faith in Jesus Christ and his message that was sent to me through spies. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And what more shall I say? I don't even have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, and Samson, and Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouth of lions, who quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was, not, uh, was, was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle, and routed foreign armies. By faith, They became powerful in battle. What are we talking about here? And routed foreign armies, the principalities and the warfares. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even 
better resurrection. I don't even know what that means, but that's crazy. Refusing to be released from being tortured so that they have a better resurrection. That is faith. They trusted in God more than this world. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them, Paul says. The world looks on people like that and says, trash. These people took on the shame of the cross. So much so to where they were destitute and isolated and they had nothing because he was precious to them. He was more precious than this world. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. And they were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. What? Since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us they may be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, our brothers and sisters have gone on before us. Since we're surrounded by that cloud, what does it say? Let us throw off everything that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles the fiery arrows, the darts that are hitting us and flaming us. Pull them out. Put them off. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, now here's the ultimate example, the joy set before him, he was looking ahead. When we look at the cross, we go, no way, I don't want to feel that. But we look beyond of what it produces. This is what Jesus did. For the joy set before him, that's you. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. It is difficult. It is hard in this life when we are being barraged day after day to not grow weary and to not lose heart. Look unto Jesus the author and the finisher of faith, who endured. That is our hope. And that same Spirit, the Spirit of God, is in you by faith. He's in you right now. No matter what barrage you're going through, Jesus knows it, He's endured it, and He's given you the power to overcome it by faith in Him. Stand. Stand against the enemy. Throw off the weights of sin. Get real. Get suffering. Amen? It's okay. Your reward's coming. It's going to be awesome. We win. Praise the Lord. You're on the winning team. Suffering for a little bit. It's going to be awesome. Helmet of salvation next week. Helmet. That's huge. The enemy would seek to hit us with those fiery arrows, and he's going to hit it. That's his job, is to do that every day, all the time. He wants to give us temptations on the inside and play upon those things. 
He wants to get us from the outside just in dealing like with liberty. Just the arrows that came my way in my heart and were pulling upon things within me and trying to get me to, to resent, trying to get me to have one up, trying to get me to just, instead of saying, Jesus rule. Let your love lead the way. Church, we have awesome things ahead of us. We have an enemy who's going to be attacking, but we have a king of kings and a lord of lords. Where is he? He sits he's above it all, seated at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning. He's going to come back and get us. And we're seated with him, Ephesians 1 says. Believe it. Know it. Put your faith in what he says. He's going to bring it to pass. He has what is good for you. Repent. Turn from your sin. Turn to Jesus. He cleans you up. It's awesome. Amen? Amen. Lord, we give you our time. We want to thank you for your word. We truly do. Lord, teach us to pick up the shield of faith. Help us today as we watch uh, the Super Bowl, maybe, and all the ads start coming on. Help us to discern what the enemy's doing, even through humor. Even through humor, he'll do whatever, whatever it takes. Not that we would become legalists, but we would just be aware. And we would be desiring so much to love and to obey you that we would lay down whatever before your feet. Put your word within us as we open it up. And let us abide in you and walk after you. And Lord, produce the fruit in our hearts and lives, the fruit of repentance, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of good works, so that you, as you walk among your church, you just enjoy the orchard that's there for you. We love you, Lord. Thank you for redeeming us. In the name of Jesus, amen.